Episode 84 The tide is high and so are the rivers. Better bring your umbrella. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxet General. I am your host, Jess. It looks like some weather is coming to our little town this weekend. As of right now, the professionals are still not sure if we'll get the full effect from Lee or just some big surf. But I did think that now might be a good time to talk about hurricanes in Rhode Island. We'll talk about hurricanes in the area throughout the years, give personal observations from the events, and dire tales. This week, we make a vegetarian chopped liver with green beans. Such a yummy spread. To get ready for the weather talk, how about a hurricane cocktail? Just what the weather forecaster ordered. But first, I must thank our Patreon subscribers. These calm, cool, and collected folks are the sandbags, gallons of water, charged flashlights, gassed-up generators, extra tarps, and case of wine that are the weather preparation for the Patuxet General, without whom we would be out to sea. So thank you. And if you would like to be one of these foresighted folks with ad-free content, simply follow the link in the show notes or look for our page on Patreon.com. A small donation will make all the difference. So thank you. But until then, let's start with vegetarian chopped liver. This week, I had to find a new green bean recipe. And well, I failed. However, I did find an old green bean recipe. Now, as far as I knew, you can make green bean casserole, green bean amandine, three bean salad, or simply raw with dip. I saw a salad online that looked tasty, but I wanted to do right by you all, give you something interesting. I was at a loss until at dinner I mentioned the problem to my mother-in-law. She didn't hesitate. Green bean vegetarian chopped liver. She said the dish was passed down in the family for serving on holidays. And for this recipe, you will need 6 tablespoon grapeseed oil, 2 large onions, coarsely chopped, 1 and a half cups cooked peas, 1 cup coarsely chopped cooked green beans, 1 teaspoon salt, 1 half teaspoon freshly ground black pepper. Three large hard-boiled eggs and 30 walnut halves. Warm the oil in a large heavy skillet over a medium-high heat. Add the onions and saute until soft and translucent about five to seven minutes. Reduce the heat and continue to fry stirring occasionally until the onions are golden and begin to caramelize about eight to ten minutes more. Add the peas and the green beans and fry until tender and season with salt and pepper. Then put the vegetables into the food processor. Add the eggs and nuts and process until smooth. Taste the puree and add a little oil if it's dry and or additional salt and pepper to taste. Then transfer the mixture into an airtight container and chill several hours or overnight before serving. And there you go. Serve it with rye bread, lettuce leaves, crackers, or crudite. Give it a try. I know you'll enjoy. CaptainMorgan.com has this to say about the hurricane, and they ought to know. 
The Hurricane Cocktail deserves its name, tracing its roots back to the 1940s New Orleans, where it first was served in a speakeasy that, legend has it, could only be entered if you uttered the words, Storm's Bruin. Once a favorite of seafaring men, it's now popular amongst privateers and civilians alike. The Hurricane Recipe is a mix of white rum and original spiced gold, passion fruit juice, mango juice, lime juice, and sugar syrup. It's a real taste of the tropics. Take the captain's advice and enjoy a hurricane or two as the sun sets. Make like a New Orleans and serve yours in a traditional hurricane glass. Best enjoyed under a palm tree on a desert island. For this recipe, you will need 20 milliliters Captain Morgan Original Spice Gold, 20 milliliters Captain Morgan White Rum, 55 milliliters Passion Fruit Juice, 30 milliliters Orange Juice, 1 teaspoon of Simple Syrup, the juice of half a lime, and 1 teaspoon Grenadine, one orange slice, one cherry, and one glassful of cubed ice. Add all the ingredients but the garnish into a shaker filled with ice and shake for all you've got. Then strain into a large hurricane glass also filled with fresh ice and garnish with a slice of orange and a cherry. Enjoy. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his Electromagnetic Pinball Museum and Restoration Arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. We have a lot to say about hurricanes today. Our earliest recorded local hurricane was quite a big story. The Hurricane of 1635 is told to us by the New England Historical Society. The Great Colonial Hurricane, possibly the strongest storm in New England's history, struck on August 25, 1635. The Reverend Richard Mather and Anthony Thatcher had the misfortune of being on board ships that day. Mather, father to Increase Mather and grandfather to Cotton Mather, had been suspended by the Church of England for failing to conform to church expectations in conducting services, particularly in his dress. With his prospects limited in Britain, Mather decided he had better opportunities in the New World. He set out on his journey to Boston with his wife, father-in-law, and four children in June 1635. They were among 100 passengers on the James, one of five ships carrying Puritans from the Great Migration. Three smaller ships on the journey crossed quickly and landed safely. The James at 220 tons and the Angel Gabriel at 240 tons were slower and crossed together for most of the trip. During early July, they parted company, with the James moving somewhat faster. Both arrived in the teeth of the hurricane, however. Both ships had to wait out the storm off the coast. The Angel Gabriel was able to send most of its passengers ashore at Pemaquid in Maine. 
and they slept as guests of the villagers, already living there while their ship rested at anchor in the harbor. By morning, the storm tore the angel Gabriel from its anchor and reduced it to rubble. The several crew and passengers who stayed on board were lost, and the remaining passengers were left to recover what they could of their belongings from the surf. Further south down the coast, the James had its own problems. The captain tried to find a safe harbor in the Isle of Shoals, but lost all of its anchors in the efforts, and none of its cables were strong enough to withstand the storm. On board, the passengers feared the worst as the wind and 20-foot storm surge began pushing the ship steadily towards the rocks, waiting and watching as the ship edged nearer to the calamity. The crew finally rejoiced when storm moved northeast. The hurricane winds reversed and began pushing the ship away from the islands. Now, however, the ship faced the danger of crashing onto the rocks on land, and with a careful deployment of a storm's sail, the crew managed to direct the vessel to Hampton Harbor, where it finally found refuge. The James limped into Boston, its sails in tatters. Mathers described the passengers' feelings in his diary. When news was brought to us in the gunroom, the danger was past. Oh, how our hearts did relent and melt within us, and how we burst into tears of joy amongst ourselves, in love unto our gracious God and admiration of his kindness, and granting to his poor servants such an extraordinary and miraculous deliverance. The news was not so good even farther to the south. Anthony Thatcher and his cousin Avery had packed up their families and one family friend, nineteen in all, and boarded a small ship, the Watch and Wait. They left for a journey that would take them from Ipswich, Mass, out around Cape Ann, and into Marblehead, where the families planned to relocate. Together with four sailors, the hurricane caught the two families on board their vessel off Gloucester, Mass. The sailors made what seemed a sensible decision to try and ride out the rough weather at anchor. But in the winds of the hurricane, it was a fatal choice, as no anchor would hold. The wind and waves tossed the ship until it came crashing upon the rocks of an island offshore. The rolling sea smashed apart the small boat. As the mariners were washed into the sea, Thatcher bemoaned the ship's fate, close to land but hung up on the rocks. He later wrote, O cousin, it hath pleased God to cast us here between two rocks, the shore not far from us, for I see the tops of trees when I look forth. Resigned to his fate, he said to his cousin, I am willing and ready here to die with you and my poor children. God be merciful to us and receive us to himself. The waves crashed over the boat, carrying Thatcher and all his family into the sea. For a time, they managed to cling to a rock, but soon the storm swept them away. The waves carried Thatcher and his wife to safety on the island, and all the rest drowned. On land, the damage was staggering. The tides at Narragansett Bay were reported 20 feet higher than normal, Unknown numbers of Native Americans caught in the surge drowned. Buildings in Plymouth and Bourne blew down and flooded. The storm damaged Boston less than Providence, but downed trees throughout the colony. William Bradford, 
in Of Plymouth Plantation, 1620 to 1647, called it a mighty storm of wind and rain. None living in these parts, either English or native, ever saw anything worse, he wrote. Natives climbed into trees for their safety. It blew down many hundred thousands of trees, turning up the stronger by the roots and breaking the higher pine trees off at the middle, he wrote. And the tall young oaks and walnut trees of good bigness were wound like a withe, very strange and fearful to behold. Bradford predicted that the marks of the great colonial hurricane would remain for a century, and though the storm was noted in the records of Virginia Colony at Jamestown, it was not recorded as a major event, probably because it didn't make landfall. When it hit New England, it was probably what today we would call a Category 3 or 4 storm, with winds well over a 100 miles an hour. Meteorologists reckon it was the strongest storm to hit north of North Carolina. Diarists noted as late as 1685 that they could still see damage from the storm. Thatcher Island in Rockport, Mass., granted by the General Court to Anthony Thacker after the storm, still bears his name. It's now home to twin lighthouses. Thatcher ultimately settled in Yarmouth, Mass., where he is buried near a monument named after him. New England, and specifically Patuxent Village, would not see another hurricane that potent until 1938. On September 10, 1938, 800 lives were lost, 2,000 houses swept from their foundations, and 899 boats destroyed. $306 million in damage, 1938 dollars, were done during that storm. There are still marks in the buildings downtown where the water level reached during the hurricane. My own grandmother was stuck at the outlet store where she worked at the time, like many folks. Luckily, she made it home. But that was a dim memory by 1954, when Carol came to call. WarwickHistory.com has this to say about Hurricane Carol. The problems that beset Oakland Beach in the 1930s and 1940s continued into the 1950s unabated. It was during this decade that another natural disaster wreaked havoc in the area. This time, it was Hurricane Carol, which struck with great devastation on August 31, 1954. Property damage in the state of Rhode Island exceeded $90 million. Nearly 4,000 homes and 200 boats were destroyed, and sadly, 19 lives were lost. The Warwick Beacon on Friday, September 3, 1954, reported... You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Hurricane strikes Oakland Beach and Connecticut areas hardest. Estimated $3 million damage. The article 
by Lucy Leventhal went on to say, Five persons are dead, at least fifty injured, as a mass cleanup continues. The peak of the storm with gusts at a hundred miles an hour hit Warwick at about 12.30 Tuesday. Waterfront areas were reported to have lost 170 to 200 houses. The National Guard was enforcing martial law in at least three seaside communities. This included Oakland Beach, where about 80 homes were destroyed and 300 people were left homeless. Laventhal tells us water rose as high as Stender's Cafe near the Midway, Waterfront Station, and the Oakland Beach School, where the Red Cross provided food and clothing for about 200 people. According to the Warwick Beacon, the dead at Oakland Beach included John W. Belland, 34. His body was found in the water near Ottawa Avenue. Also lost in the storm were Francesco Gallo and his wife, Katerina, both about 72 years old. They died in their storm-swept summer home on Seaview Drive. Gatano Gallo, son of Francesco and Katerina, recorded the horror of the day. He recorded how they had fled to the second floor when the water began to rise. He recounted we were together in a bed Room. The water rose four feet in that room, and the house began to rock from side to side. Then I grew confused, but I remember the house breaking apart and it getting dark. Gatano was able to cling to a large section of the wall and rode out the storm for an estimated two hours. His parents were not so fortunate. Eventually, the storm lost its fury, and within a few days, power was restored, and Oakland Beach residents began the long process of restoring and rebuilding wherever possible. Despite the horror of the time, there were a number of residents who managed to keep their sense of humor. One example used in the beacon recounted that a man on Oakland Beach, whose house was blown down the beach to Button Woods, was overheard to say, Well, I always wanted to live in Button Woods. If you do visit the New England Historical Society online and look up Hurricane Carol, you will see a picture of the Edgewood Yacht Club, which is just down the street from the General itself. And inside the General itself, there are two paintings of fruit framed in rough wood that survived this hurricane in Ocean Grove in South Swansea, Mass. They are not all that survived. Also, this story. My grandfather had a boat that he loved. He had built it himself, and most of his greatest joy was found driving the 18-foot powerboat around Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. His brother had gotten news of the impending storm while they were out at the summer houses in Ocean Grove. There were three houses that the family stayed in, and while the others prepared to leave or hunker down, my grandfather, with his middle son, took out the boat. He knew that the storm would probably destroy the boat if it was on land, so we had to get far enough offshore to anchor safely and ride it out. Not a simple task. The trick being, knowing when to go on deck during the passing of the eye and move the anchors and the angle of the boat 180 degrees before the eye finished passing. They rode out that nail-biting hurricane and returned to land to find two of the three houses gone. The family had fled inland and were safe. My father says that my grandmother didn't talk to my grandfather for a month, but the kids considered him a hero. I was told this story for the first time I went for a ride on this boat. And every subsequent time.
WBZ CBS News in Boston has this to say about Hurricane Bob. The dog days of August 1991 were violently interrupted when the most powerful hurricane in decades reached the shores of New England, Hurricane Bob, arriving earlier than any other hurricane of record in New England, brought damage some had not seen since Carol and Edna in 1954. And the region hasn't seen a landfall in the 30 years since. Bob had its start in the Bahamas, where it quickly gained strength and accelerated northward. Briefly gaining Category 3 strength, it would go on to weaken slightly to a Category 2 before the eye crossed over Block Island in the early afternoon of August 19th. Further landfalls would come in Newport, Rhode Island and Rockport, Maine. At this time, I was living on Broad Street in Cranston and my mother was living down the hill on the water next to the Rhode Island Yacht Club. My dad was still in Germany and on that day, after my mom was evacuated, I called my dad on a landline phone with a giant curly cord and brought it outside so that he could hear the hurricane. Little did I know the extent of the damage done by Bob. It caused 200,000 power outages. About 60% of residents lost power, luckily not me, but that said, the overall damage was extensive. Treatment plants spilled over 100 million tons of sewage due to overflow into Narragansett Bay. Overall, Bob cost New Englanders $1.5 billion, definitely not a storm to be underestimated, which unfortunately it was, not just by me, most folks in the area. Alerts were not issued until the day of the hurricane and were ignored by most being blindsided cost us all that day. Today, we can watch as long as two weeks out and get a bird's eye view. Now, I'm not sure what will happen with Lee in New England, but I do know enough to take hurricanes seriously. I will not be out in a boat like my brave and oh-so-lucky grandfather. I will also take notes to report back to you. Thank you once again for joining us today at the Patuxent General. If you would like to reach out with a comment, idea, local ghost story, or order for the pop-up general store, our email is jess at patuxentgeneral.com. We can't wait to hear from you, and we'll get right back to you. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxent General. Something for Posterity Production, pre-recorded in Patuxent.